Please be seated. Genesis chapter 26 this evening. On Sunday nights we journey through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. In chapter 25 we have the record of the death of Abraham and uh, Genesis now begins is, it, to take a turn or it has some time ago really as it began as a record of God's creation of the heavens and the earth and then the fall of man in the garden of Eden and the flood in the time of Noah and all and then the book of Genesis begins to focus on uh, four great men in, uh, in uh, the uh, uh, early part of human history and you have uh, Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and so Abraham is uh, gone he's been gathered unto his people not a perfect man but only Jesus is the perfect man and but one of the things that Abraham's life teaches us is that if we will be a friend of God and he was a friend of God and uh, and we have a desire to walk with him and and grow through you know our failures and all that he has God then has a way of accomplishing his will through our lives if we'll just continue along with him in the pilgrimage and uh, so here is then the focus now moving upon Abraham's son Isaac and uh, Isaac now uh, is uh, married to uh, Rebecca and uh, they give birth to a, a pair uh, some twins a pair of boys uh, the older one's name is Esau the younger one's name is Jacob and God declares very very plainly concerning uh, these two peoples and these two boys that are in the womb of Rebekah there in verse 23 of chapter 25 that uh, when they are born the older shall serve the younger that is a, a, a promise a prophecy that God had made a declaration concerning the two boys it was against the natural order in the ancient world and uh, and it's important to recognize that because we're going to see in just a chapter or so everybody's going to fight against that promise and uh, nobody's going to be successful in trying to overturn that uh, Esau sells his birthright for a bowl of uh, red stew to Jacob and now we pick it up in verse 20 or chapter 26 verse 1 now there was a famine in the land that is the land of Canaan where Isaac is besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham and Isaac went to Abimelech king of the Philistines in Gerar and so famine in those days very very serious business just like it is um, in our world today where famine will hit a particular section of the world today we have uh, greater uh, resources we have the ability to transport food from one part of uh, literally of the world to another part of the world to alleviate a famine condition uh, in those days there wasn't that kind of, of mobility and also a famine to be caught in a famine with your family was a real serious business so it's not just a word on a page it's the kind of thing that could uh, wipe out a family so very serious trial that Isaac finds himself in in the middle of of all of this Isaac is about 80 years old at this time it's not the same uh, famine that had occurred you know under his uh, father Abraham that had occurred about a hundred years uh, earlier so as a result of this famine he now travels down to Gerar which is in the southern section of Israel we would uh, know it is uh, probably uh, pretty close to the Gaza Strip um, in in today's kind of uh, defining of of the Middle East 
And uh, so he travels down uh, to Abimelech. Now we remember that uh, Abraham uh, had at a time in his uh, life and his walk with God that he had met up with an Abimelech and and, uh, had sold Sarah into his harem and and this whole uh, kind of a thing. This is probably not the same Abimelech. Again, you've got about a hundred years between the two events. And um, Abimelech was kind of... It was a, a, a personal name, but it could also be a title like Caesar or like Pharaoh. So it's probably a title that was given to a regional kind of tribal king, a different one from the time of, of Abraham's time and, and that uh, Isaac now uh, comes to. Now, we're told that the Lord then appeared to uh, Isaac and said to him, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Now, traveling to Egypt was a temptation for anyone during a time of famine. Because in Israel at that time, they depended on what were called the early and the latter rains. There wasn't a canal system like we have in California or that kind of a thing. They depended on natural rainfall in order for their crops to be watered well enough and and to be harvested and in order to have food for the year. Egypt had an advantage because Egypt is filled with rivers and tributaries to those rivers and so they were less dependent upon rainfall they could they had a little bit of a buffer with uh, the rivers and irrigation by virtue of the rivers so when famine hit the great tendency was for everyone to run to Egypt because they could continue to produce uh, food this is a temptation that apparently fills uh, Isaac's heart here and the Lord comes to him very very clearly and tells him don't you go down into Egypt you stay in this land of Canaan that I I have uh, promised to you and to your descendants now later the land of Egypt is going to represent the world in Scripture. And there's a great tendency from the time of Isaac even to this day that when things begin to dry up or they begin to get difficult in in our lives as Christians, uh, there's a famine or something, there's a great temptation to take our life under our own control, re-enter the world on its terms and that kind of a thing, and, uh, and go back into it in order to survive the difficulty. And the idea that we kind of think of is, yeah, Christianity and walking with God, you know, that all works in the easy times, but when it really, you know, turns out to be rough and difficult and this is the real world kind of thing, you've got to fight fire with fire and you've got to take things into your own hands. And that's kind of the temptation that, that he's facing and the Lord warns him not to do that. And he warns us not to do that uh, tonight also. I think it is fascinating that uh, here is Isaac. Again, we see it all the way through the scriptures. He is right in the middle of God's will for his life. And yet there's a famine. And so often we can tend to think that if I'm in the middle of God's will, it'll never be difficult. Have any of you ever been in the situation where I'm in the middle of God's will and I heard, you know, God speak to my heart to go and to do this and to be here and start this thing and then all of a sudden it becomes extraordinarily difficult. And then what happens? We begin to doubt God's call because there's an idea in our mind that God's call is always going to be easy. And that isn't necessarily so. Uh, We can be in the middle of extraordinarily difficult uh, circumstances and be right in the middle uh, of God's will. So the Lord tells him, don't do it. Dwell in this land and I will be with you. Gives him the promise of his presence. 
and I will bless you. And uh, for to you and your descendants, speaking to Isaac, I give these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham and your father. So it's interesting to note now, God appears to Isaac, even as he did to his father Abraham, and he gives him the promise of his father Abraham. He tells Isaac that it is through your descendants that I am going to give this land, the land of Israel, the land of Canaan, and I'm going to perform the promises that I've made uh, to Abraham to bless the world now through you. So it's significant in the light of the great controversy that's in the world today over who does the land of Israel belong to. Well, we've already seen that it belongs to the descendants of Abraham. But now God makes that bloodline even tighter here by including Isaac in this. And so it is given to the descendants of Abraham and Isaac. We'll see that he makes it an even tighter uh, tributary of blood a little bit further when he makes the same uh, promise Uh, to Jacob and I will make your descendants uh, multiply as the stars of heaven I will give to your descendants all these lands and in your seed all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed in other words the Messiah uh, that is uh, the single great blessing of the Jews uh, to human history and the human condition uh, is going to come through Abraham and Isaac And because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And so he emphasizes to Isaac now the importance of obedience. And, uh, you know, when we read uh, Abraham's life and we're reading, you know, 150 years, give or take, or that kind of a thing, and he, he, he he made a couple of rather large uh, marriage uh, decisions that were uh, not that great and all. But it was, he wasn't sinning every day or something, rebelling against God. His life was characterized by obedience to the Lord. Sometimes we can look at them completely in the light of, uh, you know, a, a sin or, or two or failure or two. His life was characterized uh, by uh, o- obedience. And then, so Isaac obeys the Lord and he dwelt in Gerar. And Gerar was kind of his... his uh, as close as you could get to Egypt and still stay in Canaan. So he's been out kind of in what is, is called the Sinai uh, Peninsula. Uh, one time we, we took a flight from Tel Aviv uh, down to a lot uh, because we were trying to get something done. And uh, we took the flight, about a one-hour flight over that region, uh, dual prop plane and, and the thing. And said, I don't know how anybody could eke a living out of that really rough dry desert area so he he in the middle of this famine now made worse by by the dryness and the famine he moves as close as he can to Egypt and then still stay uh, in the world he in, in in Canaan he's being obedient in that and the men of the place asked about his wife and uh, he said oh she's my sister and uh, boy chip off the old block on things you, you know it, it we we come from a gene pool, don't we? I mean, we come all the way from Adam and Eve, and we can't blame them. You know, that we're not, we can't, we can't blame, uh, you, you know, uh, claim victimhood status on that thing because we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But there are tendencies in our mother and in our father that are 
pretty closely in our lives too, you know, by virtue of being their children. And so here is this tendency that Isaac has gotten from his father. It's a sinful tendency that when things get really rough and you feel in danger, you lie your way out of it. And uh, so this is what he's going to do. They said, they asked about his wife. They evidently looked and said, this must be his wife. That's what was this your wife? Oh no, this isn't my wife. Uh, this is my sister. And the reason is given here for he was afraid to say she is my wife because he thought he didn't know this to be true. Lest the men of the place kill me for Rebecca because she is beautiful to behold. These people don't have the fear of God. They'll kill me for my wife and all. We're going to see in a moment both Abraham and Isaac their, uh, uh, their fear related to these uh, people that they were living in the middle of I'm, I'm, was unfounded. These people are appalled at what Abraham and then appalled at what Isaac does here in, in selling his wife into the kind of the king's harem. But this is how uh, he dealt with things. And now it came to pass when he had been there a long time. So, you know... Uh, you poor women. And uh, so a long time that Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, he was looking through a window uh, in, in his residence there and he saw and there was Isaac showing endearment uh, to Rebekah, his wife. Uh, in the old King James, I think it says they were sporting together. So probably like throwing in their football and stuff around the courtyard and, and things like that. So they're they're smooching, they're kissing and stuff like that. And as Wally would say to the bead, they're kissing and junk. And uh, so the, whatever it was, it was the kind of thing you do with your wife, but you don't do with your sister. And so he realizes, all right, this isn't, you know, we've been, I've been told a lie here on, on all this. And Abimelech calls Isaac and he said, quite obviously, she is, not, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said, because I, uh, because I said, lest I die on account of her. I thought you'd kill me over her. And Abimelech said, you know, what is this you've done to us? We're pagans, but come on. Uh, one of the people might have soon lain with your wife and uh, you would have brought guilt on us. And so nobody, you know, laid a finger on on her and the, the, Rebecca the whole time she was in there. But he was upset over the fact that uh, even unknowingly one of his men might have become involved with Rebecca and then in, in violating, you know, a, a marriage uh, trust here and all. So he's got a, he has a higher respect for marriage at this point than even godly uh, Isaac has at the moment. And so Abimelech charged all of his people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And so he makes a declaration to assure uh, the safety of, of both uh, Isaac and of, of Rebekah. And then Isaac sowed in that land and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. Well, what gives with that? He just made one of the biggest blunders of his life right in front of everybody. I mean, it's right there in the Bible. And he leaves this big, you know, sin and failure in his life, and he goes out and he sows in the land. He reaps a hundredfold. And those of you who are farmers, that's a pretty good, that's a good year, isn't it? Hundredfold. I mean, there's no explanation for that, but God 
Why would God come in alongside him following his failure? And it seems like he's just getting away with it. Was God reinforcing, you know, kind of sinful behavior in his children? It isn't. Isaac, again, just like his father, we're, we're talking about people who care about God. We're talking about people who care about their relationship with God. They care about their witness before God. And Isaac has been publicly, just as his father was, rebuked for his sin. And, uh, and when you have a tender conscience toward God, I mean, you don't have to stone somebody to really wound them related to uh, their, you know, their sin on something. He knows what he's done. He's been publicly rebuked. He feels shame over it. He obviously repents because he never does it again, unlike his father. And, and so here he's in, in that place, and God just comes out and pours grace out upon him. That's what makes grace, grace. Is when God comes alongside our lives, even after He's given us these great promises and all of these things, and we just make an any of ourselves. And we're so ashamed of what happened there, and I can't believe that I did that thing. And then God, a, a smoking flax He will not quench, and a bruised reed He will not break. And He knows when we need a little, a little spanking, and he knows when we need encouragement. God comes along, and he just pours grace out on him. And it's going to be a big witness to the Philistines that are around him. Because that doesn't add up in terms of their gods. Their gods like Santa Claus. Got a list, checking it twice, going to see who's naughty or nice, that kind of thing. Here's a God who takes and blesses his children after they, they have failed. And uh, our lives, they're a testimony to God's grace. What if Abraham and Isaac never failed and it was never recorded in the Bible? We would have the conclusion that God only blesses us when we're perfect. But nobody's perfect. We don't use that as an excuse to sin or to remain carnal or anything like that. But God is a gracious God because He knows we need a lot of grace. And, and so God prospers him. And the man, we're told there in uh, verse 13, uh, began to prosper, and then he continued prospering until he became very prosperous. I mean, the Lord is just really heaping uh, things on him, the prosperity, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So flocks and herds and servants uh, increasing, and but all of this creates a problem, and the problem that it creates is that the Philistines uh, envied him. That's a mark of Jewish history, isn't it? Where God blesses the Jewish people, he prospers them despite themselves so often, it produces an envy in the Gentile nations over that, and then the hostility and conflict comes out of it. And so the Philistines, they had stopped up all the wells which Isaac's father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, and they had filled them with earth. So they, 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 they see the father's gone on the way, the son has come in, there's a little transition of power here, we're going to try and drive these people out of our land by stopping up their water supply. And Abimelech said uh, to Isaac, Finally, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. What he's seeing there in that little section of the world, he's kind of seeing the balance of power among the tribes. It's getting unsettled. 
And it's just like, just like today we look at, okay, you got China and Russia and world powers and the balance of power, and if it gets too far out of balance, then what's going to happen? The uncertainty and, and these kinds of things. Same thing tribally and locally. They were seeing uh, Isaac become much more powerful than they felt was good for them. They're going to change their minds in just a few verses. And so they, they uh, invite him to leave. <laughs> I'm sure it was a little stronger than that. And so what did Isaac do? He departed from there, and he pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, and he dwelt there. Now, uh, Isaac is the kind of guy that doesn't like conflict. And uh, he's, kind of, he's a fairly passive person, as you would read the passage. Someone has said he is the uh, mild son of a great father and the mild father of a great son, Jacob. And uh, that's kind of true. He, he just likes to mind his own business, just wants a quiet life with God, and, and he just has kind of a quiet ministry. He's not interested in fighting with people and wars, and conflict is not something that he likes at all. And so he just leaves and, and goes someplace else. And Isaac again dug the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham and and so they drive him out of one section of the land he goes to another section of the land he knows where water is because he knows where his father has dug the wells and then he goes to those sites and he undigs the well in order then to water his flock and keep his family alive and uh, so he called them by the names which his father had called them verse 19 and also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and they found a well of running water there. Okay, jackpot. Because now you don't just dig down and you hit water. They dug down here and they hit a spring. It's the difference between getting a drink of water if you're out in the wild, getting a drink of water from a pond. Listen, when you're really thirsty, you'll drink from a pond. But if you got a pond right over here and you got a running stream over here, no brainer, you head over to the running stream. That's clean water, that's fresh water. So that's what they've hit. They've hit an underground stream here. We're talking about off the graph valuable in, in that arid part of, of the world. And so, they strike the running water there, but the herdsmen of Gerar, uh, these uh, men of Abimelech, they quarreled with Isaac's herd, herdsmen over the well, and I'm sure it was a little more heated than verbal, and they claimed the water is ours, and uh, so with probably the threat of violence and all, uh, they kind of strong-armed the well away from him, and so uh, he, Isaac, called the name of the well Essek, which means dispute or contention, because they quarreled with him. And then they dug another well. So he's the kind of guy that, okay, they've shoved me out of this thing. I'm not going to fight him over the deal. God's given me promises. He's going to take care of me, and I'm just going to trust him to do that. So he just moves on to the next place, digs another well. They quarreled over that one also, and he called the name of it Sitna, which means opposition or enmity. And then he moved from there and he dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. They didn't want this well. They didn't fight him over it. So he called its name uh, Rehoboth, which means room, because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us 
And we shall be fruitful in the land. And then he went up from there to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said to him, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. So apparently he's become fearful once again. And the Lord just comes in and, and, and he calms his fear by doing what? I'm with you. I'm with you. And the idea is I'm with you, I'm with you to bless you. I'm, I'm for you. And, and that's, the Lord speaks this beautiful confidence in, in His presence to him. And further, I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. Isaac, I saw everything they did to you. Pretty dirty. Pretty dirty, wasn't it? Take the long view, son. Take the long view. Because every promise that I've given to you is going to come to pass and everyone's going to see it. And sometimes when we find ourselves in these places as, as Christians where someone has strong-armed us, they've done something wrong, something like that kind of a deal and all, and it really leaves a bitter taste in your mouth that can make you afraid on something. And it's just so important for God to come in, just reassure us, listen, I gave you promises, heaven and earth is going to pass away, but my word will never pass away. That what I promised you is going to come to pass in this. This is one of the great advantages of growing a little bit older. There are very few advantages to growing old. Uh, there are a few, but they're all spiritual. Uh, but there is something, in, and it's one of the joys. The, you know, the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. And there's something about growing older that you have this a little bit of a sense of history. You've seen enough situations where it looked like this thing was happening. It looked like these people were going to be taken advantage. It looked like these people got away with that. And for five years it looked like that. But then 15 years down the road, in a night, God drops the hammer on that situation and exposes it for what it is. And he brings forth a person's righteousness or he brings forth the fulfillment of his promise. God, he doesn't, he doesn't have a stopwatch on him. He's very, very patient. We have to be patient with him too. God giving you promises, he's going to keep those promises. No matter what people do, nobody undoes the word of God or the promises of God toward our lives. And so God encourages him in the promises. So what did Isaac do? just what his father had done. So he had picked up a bad habit from uh, his, his father, but he had picked up good things from his father too. And so he built an altar there to praise the Lord for the, the re-encouragement of, of the promises. And he called upon the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there. So we see, just like with Abraham, the tent and the altar, worship of the Lord, I'm just a pilgrim passing through, and then uh, and there Isaac's servants uh, dug a well. And then Abimelech came to him from Gerar, and uh, Ahuzath, one of his friends, came with him, and Phicol, the commander of his army. And so apparently he brings Phicol and he brings this other friend with him to be a witness to a covenant that he's going to ask Isaac to enter into uh, with him. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me? And you've sent me away from you. The last time we talked, you drove me away, said, don't hang around here or else, and, and all, and now you want to talk with me. And they said, 
we have certainly, that is without a doubt, unmistakably seen that the Lord is with you. We can't figure out why, but He is. That's grace also. They can't figure it out. (laughs) And so we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. And so we said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant uh, with you that you will not, uh, you will do us no harm and our families since we have not touched you, done any physical violence to you, and since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace, you are now the blessed of the Lord. And so they want a covenant with Isaac because they recognize the favor of, of the Lord on Isaac. I just see the anointing that's there. God is with this guy, and we can fight it every way we want, but whoever this guy's God is, man, he does stuff we're not seeing anybody else else do. And so they're saying, clearly, God is on your side, and what's happening in your life cannot be explained by your talent and by your abilities. This can only be God that's working in your life. We want to be on the right side of you because we want to be on the right side uh, of, of your God. And so they recognize, even as uh, Abimelech did earlier with Abraham, uh, God is with you. Uh, you're on the right side of the Lord. The future is with you and we want to be on the right side of of that future so let's enter into uh, a covenant and so he made them a feast to kind of seal uh, the covenant to celebrate this reconciliation so to speak and they ate and drank and then they rose early in the morning swore an oath with one another promising to keep this uh, vow and Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug, and they said to him, We have found water. So that's a double good day. Got a covenant, peace treaty with with his neighbors that have been hostile to him, and they've told him, Listen, God's confirming how good he is to us. We have found water once again. And so he called it Sheba, and therefore the name of the city is Beersheba uh, to this day. When Esau, now moving over to uh, Isaac's, uh, 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 over to Isaac's son here, Esau, when Esau was 40 years old, he took as wives Judith, the daughter of uh, Berei, uh, the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they were a grief of mind to Isaac and to Rebekah. He said, oh boy, these daughters-in-law, they're really, really rough. Now Esau, this guy just does not get it. I mean, he just doesn't seem to have a spiritual bone or thought in his body. And uh, here he is, he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew uh, to, to, his, uh, to his brother and all. And, and then this here, marrying the pagan wives from around him, it isn't, again, it isn't a racial issue on this. The Hittites were idolaters. And here he has, he has no problem at all with marrying uh, two women uh, given to idolatry, raised in idolatry, marrying them into the line that God has promised to bless the whole world through. I mean, he just doesn't uh, get it at it, it all. No one who is serious about God's call 
on their life will ever marry an unbeliever. And here he takes and he marries two unbelievers. That's going to become a full-time ministry for him. And uh, he's not going to get to anything, even if he knew what anything was. So this, he's just not getting it here at all. And of course it was, it was a, a, a grief, great, great uh, grief of mine to Isaac and Rebekah. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. So here is Isaac. He's... He's, uh, he's an old man, and uh, uh, his eyes are failing. No cataract surgeries in those days. There are blessings uh, today, aren't there? So kind of early in life, uh, you know, comparatively speaking, his, he, his eyes are glazed over. He can't see uh, anything. And uh, so his sight is failing so much that, that, he, that he can't see. He also thinks not only that his eyes are so dim that he can't see, but he does believe that he is close to death. So he called Isaac, his older son, and said to him, My son, and I'm sorry, Isaac, Esau, his older brother, and said, My son, and he answered him, Here I am. And then he said, Behold now, I am old, and I don't, do not know the day of my death. So he thinks that he's old, he thinks that he's near death, and as a precaution, he wants to get this blessing out of the way before, so that he doesn't, you know, like accidentally die before he, he, he does that. The interesting thing about Isaac, and he cracks me up, I really like him a lot, but he's going to live for 43 more years. You know, there are some people that they start to die 43 years early. And uh, they, from the age of whatever, they're, they're going to die. They get this little ache or that little ache and the hypochondria and the whole, whole deal and stuff. And, and there are people that see themselves as good as dead. I mean, halfway through their 30s. You know, there is one foot in the grave, you know, kind of, kind of a thing. And so they spend the half of their life dying instead of the last few hours. And that's, that's kind of where he is. And he wants to pronounce a blessing upon uh, Esau before he, he dies. And, and so uh, 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 he said, Behold, uh, now I'm old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, your bow. Go out into the field. Hunt game for me and make me some savory food. You know, the, you know that thing that I really like, you know. And uh, bring it to me that I may eat and that my soul may bless you before I die. Isaac, bro, what in the world are you thinking here? You have a, a promise that God has given concerning your sons that the older is going to serve the younger, that the birthright and the blessing are going to be given to the younger, and now you're going to try and undo what God has declared here because of your belly and you love the stew that Esau makes, and you're going to go against what God has said concerning who He wants His to bring the Messiah into the world through uh, just because you like the stew or you like the meal. And, and he, he, he knows the promise has been made, and he's going to go right against it. You know what he's going to do? What's going to happen is the same thing that happens to us if, if we do that. We force God to rise up and resist us. And that's exactly what the Lord is going to do. This is just unbelievably wrong. 
I mean, it's just a, a pure a act of just pure carnality in self-will uh, here. Esau had already sold his birthright. He's married pagan wives. And uh, Isaac's stubbornness here in this thing is all the more remarkable uh, given the fact that he remembers the great effort that God went to and his father went to in the Lord to provide him with a proper wife. Esau's wrong here too because he knows he sold the birthright. And he knows the blessing goes with the birthright. And, but he likes the idea. And, uh, but he, he's, he sold all that for a bowl of stew. But now they're both going to kind of unite to disregard uh, God's plan. Someone has said, and I love it, I remember hearing it years ago, concerning Isaac. He was all kitchen and no chapel. He's just thinking about his belly here. You know what's really sad to me about it? And it's a great lesson concerning Isaac. Is you look at him and you go, where's the young man from Mount Moriah? Where's the picture of Christ? Where's the man who's willing to have his life taken in order to obey God and the picture of what God is want? I mean, here he is. Early in his youth, he was... Such a, so much stronger of a, ch- a child of God and a man of God than he was in his later years. And it's really sad what he has become. And it really exhorts me in a powerful way. And it needs to exhort all of us, really. There just cannot be a time in our life, no matter how old we get, that we stop growing in our relationship with the Lord and say, now it's going to be about eating. Now it's going to be about restaurants. Now it's going to be about my ease. Now it's going to be about my flesh. Now it's going to be about me doing what I want to do. And there has to always be that continued growth in the things of the Lord. And somewhere along the way, this guy stopped that on things. And now it's just his belly, his fleshly appetites that are are running things. Well, Rebecca was listening when Isaac was talking to Esau, his son, about all of this. And uh, Esau went out in the field to hunt the game, going to go get some deer and some venison and make that stew that dad's like, dad likes so I can get the blessing. Sold the birthright, but I may have got a shot at that blessing here. And so Rebecca spoke to Jacob, her son, called him aside, remember that's her favorite, and said, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now she knows, and Jacob knows, that God had promised that birthright and that blessing to Jacob. And now they hear that dad and the older brother are working this other plan to kind of take it away from God. Like somebody can do that. (laughs) So they get all agitated on the thing. They're going to come up with a plan, you know, to circumvent this this other plan when they would have done a lot better just to go, have fun storming the castle. No way you're going to undo this promise that God has given here on the thing. They should have just chilled and relaxed in the thing. But no, all right, they're going to scheme and fight. We're going to scheme. They, don't, they haven't known scheming and fighting and lying and deception until uh, we put together our own plan to fight it. And, and so that's what they're going to do. 
listen, they're trying to do something. They're trying to give something to Esau that belongs to you. And so here's Mama. She's, we know where Jacob gets it. She said, bring me game. And uh, make savory, uh, no, Esau, uh, dad said uh, to Esau, bring me game, make savory food for me that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. And now, therefore, because of this plan, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. No prayer. There's no prayer anywhere in this situation. It's just like, all right, we know how to fight fire with fire on this. Go to the flock. Bring me here two choice kids of the goats. So this tells us Rebecca is an amazing cook. She is able to make goat taste like venison. So she says, you go get those goats. I'm going to make that savory food uh, from them for your father, such as he loves. I mean, we're going to hear about how much he loves food all the way through this chapter. Come on, buckaroo. You know, the will of God, you're in history. You're going to be in the Bible. Forget about, you know, the tasty meal on things. But that's what can happen to us if we're not, not careful on things. And then he, she said, I'll make that stew that he likes, and then you shall take it into your father, and that he may eat it, and that he may bless you before his death, because he's going to think that you're Esau. Now Jacob is one smart boy. He's, he's a, he is a, a smart person. And, uh, and he said to his mom, he sees the flaw in the plan immediately. He said, look, Esau, my brother's a hairy man. I mean, you've seen him. It's Chewbacca all over again. And I'm a smooth-skinned man here. If I go in with that stew and, and Dad takes one feel of my hand or the back of my neck and all, he's going to realize that I'm trying to deceive him and, and all, and, and I'll bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. This isn't going to work, Mom. It's not going to work this way. And, and his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go uh, get them for me. So she promises to take responsibility for any curse. And he went and he got the two goats, brought them to his mom, and uh, his mother made savory food such as his father loved. And then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau went into his closet which uh, smelt like the outdoors smelt like Esau he's an outdoorsman which were in her house and put them on Jacob her younger son so gets his clothes on him for the smell factor and then for the 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 feel factor she put uh, the skins of the kids of the goats the hides from the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck in case his dad just reached over here during the blessing and and then he He'd feel that goat skin and, and know that it was Esau. I mean, how hairy was this guy? But anyway, <laughs> that's having calluses where you don't need calluses, I guess, on, on things. But uh, that's the way that he was. And so then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. And so he went into his father and said, my father, uh, my father, uh, or whatever Esau sounded like. I'm sure he, he's trying to do something with his voice because his dad's going to catch on here. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? He automatically doubts. His sense of sight has failed, but he's working off of other senses. And, J- and Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. Just lie, just lie. Now the problem with a lie is, is you never get to tell just one, do you? 
Because now you've got to tell a bunch of lies. He's going to lie through the whole rest of this chapter. You have to tell a bunch of lies in order to cover for the first lie that you told. This is why the Bible says that if we walk in the light as He, the Father, is, God is in the light, then we'll have fellowship one with another in Him. Life is much, very uncomplicated to just do the right thing, obey God and all. Lies just begin to compound themselves. And uh, so He tells him, uh, listen, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Now, please arise, sit and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found you know, the game so quickly, my son? And then Esau said, I mean, Isaac said, or Jacob said, I'll get it right here, Because the Lord, your God, brought it to me. Now, this guy has no fear of God in his life at this point, does he? He's going to get it, but he doesn't have it at this time in his life. This is called using the Lord's name in vain. So he's associating the Lord now with his lie. In other words, there isn't anyone, this guy. And, and you've got to look, you've got to know Jacob clearly for what he is right now because God's going to make him into something entirely different. But see him in all of his glory. He doesn't care who he has to manipulate who he has to draw into his schemes in order to win in his situations. And if he has to draw your reputation in and, and, and mar it, if he has to draw God and his name and his reputation in and mar it in order to get his end, he'll do anything to come out ahead. And so he, he associates the Lord now with his scheme and with his lie. And then Isaac said to Jacob, uh, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So we're going to have the touch, the touch test here. And so Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and he said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. I mean, nobody has hands like he, Esau's hands. And, uh, and, and, so, uh, and he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him. And then he said, are you really my son Esau? Jacob said, his lies just keep going forward. I am. And then he said, bring it near to me, the stew, and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. And so he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought with him wine, and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, Come now, uh, near now, and kiss me, my son. And so we're going to get the smell test here. And he came near, and he kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing. And so he begins to pronounce his blessing upon um, Jacob, thinking that he's pronouncing it upon Esau. And he said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field, which the Lord has blessed. And so that outdoor smell that, uh, that's there. And therefore may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. So he pronounces a blessing of physical prosperity upon him, food and drink. Let the peoples uh, serve you and nations bow down to you. So he, he promises that there will be this, the, the mastery of, uh, 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 over the nations of the world through his descendants. That will be ultimately fulfilled in Jesus' second coming in the kingdom age. Be master also over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Now this is criminal. Because he thinks he's pronouncing this to Esau. 
And he knows that God's will is the exact uh, opposite. So he's due what, what he's going to get in, in all of this. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. And so the whole blessing and cursing uh, thing associated with Abraham and Isaac, now associated with Jacob. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely got out of the presence, just left the room or the tent uh, of, of his of Isaac his father that Esau his brother came in from his hunting so he just whistling and whipping up some grub for dad and uh, he also had made savory food he brought it into his father and said to his father let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me and so he's very excited at this point things are going to turn on him very quickly and his father Isaac said to him who are you I wasn't expecting that and he said I'm your son your firstborn Esau and then Isaac trembled exceedingly I mean he he goes into kind of a shock and confusion and he said who where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me I ate of uh, all of it before you came and I have blessed him and indeed he shall be blessed and so uh, this uh, you know, pronunciation of both dawns on them that uh, they've been deceived in this whole situation, even as they've been trying to pull one over on God. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceeding great and bitter cry, and he said to his father, Bless me, me also, O oh my father. He's not sorry that he sold the birthright. He doesn't care about spiritual things. He is sorry he lost the double inheritance that was given to the oldest son who presumably would have a concern for the birthright, the spiritual oversight of the family. So he continues to be true to form. He, no regret. He never cried like this. He never wailed like this over the, the poor decision that he had made to, to, to sell away that birthright. But he really, really uh, gets upset and, and, and crying and all because of the loss of, of the blessing. And then, uh, but he said, uh, Isaac says to him, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob or supplanter or, you know, heel catcher or take advantage of anyone within ten feet of him kind of uh, thing? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. Now that's revisionist history. Like somebody took that away. It, you know, Jacob was pretty sneaky in the thing. But he, he gave it away and, and uh, just slugged down that bowl of stew. So uh, he's, he's going to claim victimhood uh, status here. He's no victim. Uh, uh, his life is going to end up being the result of, of his decision making and, and not the monkey business associated with, with his brother. He has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright and now look, he's taken away my blessing. And he said uh, to his father, Have you re not reserved a blessing for me? Are you all out of blessings? I mean, is there just one blessing in you, Dad? And then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. 
given him dominion over the family, the descendants, everything. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do, uh, now, uh, do now for you, my son? I'm, I'm about tapped out. And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me. Me also, oh my father. It's a little dramatic, but uh, it's about what's going on. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. <laughs> this giant, you know. And he's crying over the disappointment. The day began so good, and now look what it's turned into. And Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. So he does have a blessing that he now pronounces on his other son. And he pronounces that he and his descendants would prosper. And they did. Uh, Esau will ultimately become the father of the Edomites, the nation of Edom. They would prosper and become a great people. By your sword you shall live. They were a warlike people. And you shall serve your brother. And it was true the Edomites were under the dominion of, uh, of, of the Israelites through uh, most of the, the Old Testament history and, and all. But then uh, Isaac tells him, and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. And so about a thousand years after this, uh, one of the kings that followed King David, King David conquered the whole, that whole section of the world there, including the Edomites. But then Israel went into a long history of rebellion against God. And before they ended up going into captivity, because their, their nation became weaker and weaker because of their disobedience, these satellite peoples and countries that they had dominion over, one by one began to break free of that dominion. And the Edomites were able to do that under the... Uh, uh, when Israel was being uh, governed by uh, King uh, Joram. And so Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. Man, he's just bitter over this thing. Esau said in his heart, I'm going to let him, you know, the, the, uh, he, he's steamed over this. He said, The days of mourning for my father at, her hand, are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So he thinks his father's going to die pretty soon too on things. Dad's going to live a lot longer, as I, as I said. He said, Dad, the lone comfort in his heart is Dad's going to die. And when he dies, the first thing I'm going to do is kill that younger brother of mine. That's the only comfort he had in his heart at that time. That's how bitter he is over the situation. And the words of Esau, so he thought about it in his heart, but somehow the words get out also. The words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. And so she sent, she called Jacob, her uh, younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. That's, he, all he thinks about day and night now is just the day he gets to kill you. And now therefore, in light of the danger, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and, uh, and so uh, back to uh, 550 miles, back to Mesopotamia, where Rebekah had, had come and been brought to, to Isaac. And so she's saying, you need to flee and get out of here and put a lot of miles between you and Esau right now. He's really upset. And stay, stay with your uncle Laban for a few days until your brother's 
fury turns away. Now, in all of this, we start to see the consequences of, of uh, what's just happened here. God made a very simple promise and, and prophecy that the older was going to serve the younger, that his blessing was going to be upon the younger. God gets to choose to use whoever he wants in human history. And uh, Isaac rises up and he tries to fight that, God's will on that. Esau rises up, he tries to fight that. Rebecca rises up, and rather than resting in, allowing God to, God, you hear what they're planning here, and what they're looking to do and everything, and I don't know, and you gave the promise, and this is what looks like going to happen. It's going to be interesting to see what you do. Lifting it up in prayer and trusting in the Lord, she begins to manipulate. Jacob gets drawn in all too happily to do so into the manipulation, and the whole family's going to splinter. Every single one of them is wrong in this situation. And, and they're all going to pay a tremendous price here for it. Esau's already paying the price here. Um, and Rebecca is just beginning to. She sends uh, her, her favorite son, Jacob, away off to Haran. And she sends him away with the idea in verse 44 that it'll be a few days. It'll be 20 years. It'll be 20 years. And she will never see that boy alive again. Because she will die during those 20 years. He will come back, but they will never see each other again. Tremendous price paid in, in, in this. God, we, God, God doesn't need our help to keep His promises. He doesn't need lies. He doesn't need manipulation. He doesn't need deception. All those things just hurt God's plan and they just make a mess of everything. And they hurt us. So she thinks, just go away for a short period of time, a few days, till your brother's fury turns away. Until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. And then I will send and bring you from there. And why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? In other words, she looks at it and figures that if uh, Esau rises up and kills Jacob, uh, that would be a murder. And uh, then the, the requirement would be in that Middle Eastern culture for then a blood relative to rise up and exact a judgment against Esau for the murder by killing him. So she sees this thing is having the possibility of both of her sons uh, being dead in a day. And Rebecca then goes to Isaac and she said, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth like those who are the daughters uh, of the land, what good will my life be to me? So she comes to um, Isaac. She's not done with her manipulation because she is sending uh, Jacob away uh, in order to kind of spare his life and all. And then she comes to her husband and she portrays it as, let's send him away in order that he can find a good wife rather than one of these Canaanites. So she's continuing to kind of uh, work the different things uh, that way and, um, and the whole thing is just a mess, as I said, uh, because of it. God's going to overwhelm it 
uh, with His grace, but He's going to teach uh, people some things in, in, in the course of, of all it. Some really hard lessons. Jacob here, when he leaves and he heads off to Haran, and we'll stop here tonight, but when he heads off uh, to Haran, you can look at the situation and say, well, man, he just got, he just deceived Dad and did this whole thing and everything, and now he's going to go off and become one of the three great patriarchs of Israel. He has no idea what is waiting for him. And old Uncle Laban, if Jacob thought he was a hustler, if he thought he was a deceiver and a player and all this, he, de- he hasn't seen a manipulator till he runs into his uncle Laban. This guy wrote the book on it. And one of the interesting things that God does so often is when there's that strong kind of trait in our life that'll uh, ruin uh, you know, what God has called us to do and to be, how often God will take us and for a long period of time put us right on the bench next to, you know, at work or the locker next to us at school or whatever it might be. The person who has that very same tendency that we have only to the tenth degree. And then we become a victim of the very thing that we've been victimizing other people with, and we become so sick of that that we don't want any part of that in our lives, we ask God to remove it from our lives. And that's what God's going to do on it. did the same thing with David and Saul. And God takes and, and David and all, and, and as part of preparing him to become the king of, of Israel and all, he takes and brings him right in close to Saul. And, and has him spend a, a fairly long period of time looking at the insanity and the craziness and, and, and all of the, you, you know, ungodliness and, and anger and jealousy and all of these things of Saul and, and become a victim of it himself. So that when David became king and became an influencer among God's people, that will have already been purged away from his life. And so often God works it uh, that way. And uh, so the story will continue, Lord willing, next week when we pick up chapter uh, 28.